Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. Though there's all this stuff that you've done wrong, right? Jesus has washed away all our sins. And now we're justified. And someone, it's a great little analogy for the word justified. It's broken down as just as if I never sinned. Justified. Just as if I had never done it. When we stand before God as those that have put our faith in Jesus and repented of sin, God says, when I stand before him, though I know i got all this stuff in my past, God says, you stand before me just as if you've never done it. Justified. It's always encouraging to have someone vouch for you, right? Whether you're trying to win an argument or apply for a new job, having someone else give testimony of your worth and legitimacy is invaluable. As Pastor Bill looks at Romans today, he reminds us that we will all stand before God one day. In your own strength and efforts, you can never convince God that you are sinless and blameless. But if you put your faith in Jesus, his work on the cross vouches for you and justifies you to God. Now here's Pastor Bill in the book of Romans chapter 3 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. And that's the thing, when we're lost, we feel good about things that ain't good. They're not good, but I felt good about it back then. If you'd asked me then, I'm like, I'm a pretty good dude, you know, but I wasn't, you know. There's none good. Nobody, you ain't done enough good. There's none who does good at all. And then I'm going to tell you the underlying words. As we go from 13 to 18, I'm going to just say, first 13, underline the word throat and tongue. It says their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. And I'm going to show you that he almost takes us from, not quite head, he takes us from eyes to, to toe and show us that man, everything is messed up. He says your, the, their throat is an open tomb. So a tomb is where something dead lives. So their throat, so you go down their throat, there's a tomb, right? The Bible says they're from the abundance of the what? The mouth speaks, the heart. So he's taking them into your, your heart. Your heart is a tomb. You are spiritually dead. And I want you to notice the first four things he speaks about the depraved person all have to do with things that come out of their mouth. And that should really challenge us about how we use this instrument because the Bible is saying, look, the stuff that's coming out of here, four things, the throat, the tongue, the lips and the mouth, all of this. He's saying this is four things that show our depravity. So their throat is an open tomb. They open their throat up and take you to death, take you to the grave with their tongues. They have practiced deceit. They liars. With their tongues, they lie. And there's lots of different ways we tell lies. Sometimes we lie outright. Sometimes we lie by exaggeration. Sometimes we lie by withholding facets of the truth. But with their tongue, they practice deceit. If you use your tongue to deceive people, to thinking better about you than they should, worse about somebody else than they should, in either case, it's deception. They use their tongues to practice deceit. So it's not something they do here and there. When you practice something, you get good at it. And it says they practice this with their tongues. The next one in verse 13, so you circle, you circle, underline throat, tongues. The next one at the end of verse 13, underline lips, says the poison of asp is under their lips. The asp is a small, venomous serpent. It's a very venomous little serpent. The poison of this serpent is under their lips. And so that means these people coming out of their lips is poison. Things that are, you know, something that poison, something that brings death. Anybody here that slanders and gossips and talk bad about people, that's, you need to be careful about that. That that's coming out of your mouth, that people are just murdering people with your words behind their back. 
just tearing them down. The poison of asp is under their lips. All this, speaking of the depraved individual, the last one in verse 14, um, well, not the last one, last one as far as the, the things we say, says, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. So you got to lie mouth. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Now, regardless, I don't know what our everybody here take is as believers. Should we be cussing? I think we should all know better. You know, um, if Jesus Christ strolled up in this room, I don't think anybody here would be talking to him with cuss words. I don't think so. And so because his Holy Spirit lives in me and because he's ever present, I just don't believe as a believer I'm supposed to continue to cuss. Like it, it, that's to me a part of my old nature. The old man. The old man had a foul mouth because he had a foul heart. But the new man is being renewed day by day. I, I think it should be different. So, But this individual that's depraved, their mouth is full of cussing and bitterness. That's what's coming out. Foul mouth and bitter. If that describes you, right? If these things you say, that is me. Man, I got a foul mouth. I be tearing people up with my words. I got the poison of acid under my lips. My throat is like a tomb. I mean, I'm murdering people left and right. This is stuff you want to repent of. This says that you're in a bad place because it's just taking us right to the, the core of who we are. You need God to touch you. You need his forgiveness. These are things you need to repent of. And you need to ask him to help you. God, help me. Help me cut this out. I recognize today this is not okay. This is not what you want. These are things that you're using to describe somebody that don't know you. So if I'm saying I know you and this is me, I need, I need help, Lord. I need to repent. This cannot continue to be. All right, verse 15. So we've come off of the mouth. So, you know, we got throat, tongues, lip, mouth, and then we got feet. In verse 15, their feet are swift to shed blood. So they in a rush to go do some naughtiness. Their feet are in a rush to go do some mess. Verse 16, destruction and misery are in their ways. Destruction and misery are in their ways and their way of life, their way of being, their way of doing, and the way of peace they have not known. So some people, because they live like this, they got destruction is a way of life. Misery is a way of life. But you know what they don't know? The way of peace. They don't know the way of peace. That's sad. Because one of the things that Jesus comes to bring us is peace. He's the prince of peace. And you walk with him and there can be peace. They can, one of the blessings of walking with the Lord is you can have peace when there's not peace around you. Right? His peace is not determined by circumstance. It's not circumstantial peace. You ain't got to be on the beach in Hawaii with a with an umbrella and some waves in front of you. The peace of God can you can have a peace of God in the storm. And but these people don't know the way of peace because they don't really know the prince of peace. They haven't let him have his way. But he wants us. You know, he wants that for us. He wants us to be at peace. God wants for his kids to be able to be at peace. He know, we live in a messed up world with messed up things. But one of the benefits of walking closely with him is his peace. The peace of God that passes understanding. It don't make sense. How are you so at peace in the midst of all this? I don't know. God just taking me through it. I'm okay. Peace of God. He wants that for us, but we got to walk with him. And if we walk in rebellion and all this other stuff, we'll have everything that he just described here. Destruction and misery. Who want that? Nobody would sign up and says, I would like destruction and misery this week. Nobody want that. But it's just the way we walk can bring that upon us. Instead of walking with the Lord and enjoying his peace. And then the last one is our eyes. Verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And this is really the summation. How does a person life get this bad where their mouth is all messed up? Their feet are swift to do wrong things. They got no peace and destruction and misery and all this mess because they don't fear God. That right there, you guys, that's the beginning of everything right. Coming to a place where there's a fear of the Lord. 
What does it mean to fear the Lord? Does God want you walking around horrified about him where there's a fright or a terror? I don't think that's what it is. I believe it's a combination. Is God to be feared, right? There's a place where, yes, in the same way that a child that is growing up in a home under proper discipline would fear rebellion because I would get disciplined. There's a fear. I'm not, I know that it's not just, I'm not getting smacked for nothing. I'm not getting, you know, spanked for nothing, but there is in me a, a recognition, understand that if I do these things, you know, dad or mom would be disciplined. There's a fear of them in that way. That's proper. That's reverence. That keep me obedient, keeps me in line. But it's also in addition to just a fear, recognizing that God will spank. God will discipline. I'm not I don't believe I'm not one that believes that God is not to be feared in that way. But that's not the only thing. I don't think that we obey God because he's he going to get me. You know, he's he going to get me if I don't. That we, we walk around glitching, you know, worried about what God's going to do. I don't think that's it. There's also an aspect of reverence. God, I, I recognize that. I mean, you're God. Right. There are human beings that you would reverence. If they stepped in your presence, you would you would give honor because of their position, their, their role, their place or whatever. And God says, man, I should be feared because you don't fear me because you live before me. And all the things that you do, you do them in my face. Right. I never do anything that's not in God's face. So when I live in rebellion and sin in his face, God says, you don't fear me. You do that right in my face. You have no fear. Right. If you see a kid cussing right in front of their mother and they're not hiding it, they're not lowering their voice, they stomping and saying it. You know that they don't fear mama. They ain't got no fear or concern for anything happening right now. No fear. And that's how some of us are, how we can live in rebellion before the Lord. We just don't fear the Lord. We're not aware of his presence in the way that we need to be. So there's no fear or reverence for the Lord. That's what happens to these people. That's their, this kind of lays out their depravity and, and why so badly we need a savior. We need saving. I need God's help. So verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those that are under the law that every mouth may be stopped. And all the world may become guilty before God. So the whole purpose and goal of the law is that it would cause us to be guilty before God, that we would know as I look at the law that, man, I'm not right. I got sin. You know, they say, you know, how do you know your line is crooked unless you put a straight line right next to it? You know, the straight line showed me that my line is crooked. I was trying to hang some stuff at the house. Y'all know I'm not handy at all. So I borrowed some tools from John. I went went to go behind and check the stuff I had hung and I. He let me borrow this little balance. I, I hate the balance because it looked fine to me. But everybody was like, it looked like it's a little bit off. No, it's fine. It's fine. Well, I got the balance and the bubble was all loop loop. I'm like, well, now the, now the balance is, you know, I just I was good enough for me. But the balance said, no, nah, you got to unscrew it and do it again and get the thing right. But the balance let me know that now nah, it's off and it's way off. As a matter of fact, you need to get it right. So, too, the law shows me I'm way off. I'm way off. And I need help. That's the, the whole purpose and the goal of the law. Verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Verse 21. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe there is no difference. And this is where God really wanted to bring them to, right? For those that have believed in Jesus, we experience God's forgiveness, God's justification. In verse 20, we had the word justified, that we're justified in his sight through what Jesus did. And this is what we want. We see in, in Revelation 20, there's a court scene that takes place 
where those that are not justified, those aren't forgiven, they stand before God. He's judged, but they're not justified. Their sins are, you know, spoken out against them and they're judged for their sins and they're cast to the lake of fire. For the believer, for the Christian, though there's all this stuff that you've done wrong, right? Jesus has washed away all our sins. And now we're justified. And someone, it's a great little analogy for the word justified. It's broken down as just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. Just as if I'd never done it. When we stand before God as those that have put our faith in Jesus and repented of sin, God says, when I stand before him, though I know I got all this stuff in my past, God says, you stand before me just as if you'd never done it. Justified. That's what God wants, Right. But now my justification doesn't glorify me. Who does my justification glorify? Jesus, right? I got to glorify him. The fact that I'm, I'm justified through what Jesus did for me. I didn't do it for myself. I couldn't do it for myself. I just read all these verses that said you wouldn't have done it for yourself if you could have done it. There's none righteous, no one, not one. No one seeks after God. No one even wants the right thing that bad. But God says, I did this for you. I pursued you. You didn't pursue me. When I found you, I gave you faith to believe. You believed. I forgave. I justified. I cleansed. I worked in your life. I did everything. And so for the believer, God says, that's what I wanted to be. Now I, I'm glorified. And now it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Greek. Your race is irrelevant. Your, your background, your culture, all irrelevant. Right. When we come to Christ, we become one in him. That's what he wants for us, that we would we would be one in him, walking in his forgiveness, experiencing his forgiveness of our sins. Verse uh, 23, and part of what we always use when we share the Romans road, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God said, everybody have messed up. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And in verse 24, we get kind of, he says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So first of all, being justified freely. It was free to me, but it cost him everything. So but you and I have been justified freely. Did you, did you do any work to receive your justification? No. He did the work on the cross. And that's important to know because there are a lot of churches today that, you know, there's something you got to do in order to be saved. Just like for the Jew back then, they were using circumcision. You got to believe in and circumcise. What, is, what has become like that for the church today? Anybody know? Baptism. You got people that are lost as they could be. I, be, I got baptized when I was eight. That don't mean nothing. <laughs> you get baptized the devil he's still the devil you know it don't matter you got baptized but there are people that use it there are churches that teach it that way you gotta come forward be baptized other churches say you know you come forward you baptized then you have Christian experience speak in tongues and, and you got this, this regimen of things and once you do all these things now now you can know you're, you're saved and you can go out there and live like crazy but they're not challenging them to look for the biblical experience right you don't do anything to be saved like the work for salvation, all done by Jesus. Now it's when you've been saved that we can look to your life that there should be some things coming forth from out of your life. I don't expect anything from a non-believer. I expect them to behave like a non-believer. I don't put Christian ex- expectations on someone that's not born again, but someone born again, you begin to expect. You know, I expect that you want to be in fellowship, be around God's kids. You know, I expect that you want to receive the word. You have a spiritual appetite now that you're no longer spiritually dead, but you're spiritually alive. I expect that you have an appetite for the word of God, for these things. There's expectations on the life that's been renewed that we wouldn't have on somebody else. So God says, look, being justified freely, right? The work that I did for you justified made you just as if you'd never sinned. It did it freely. There's nothing you did. It's what I did. Then it says it's by grace 
Grace is God's unmerited favor. You didn't deserve it, didn't earn it by his grace. Then it says through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And the redemption here is uh, the, the word is like substitute sacrifice. And when you think of redemption, this is kind of what it's like for us, right? We were, before you were say, saved, born again, you were enslaved. You belonged to the devil. He was a horrible owner, was seeking to steal, kill, and to destroy. And that's hard, always hard for me to consider. When I wasn't saved, I literally belonged to the devil. He was my spiritual father. But in John 8, 44, it says of a group of people that weren't not saved, that you were of your father, the devil, that God, you're not, everybody's not naturally a child of God, as some people say. We're all God's kids. That is a lie. We're not all God's kids. Some of us are God's kids. And some of us are the other guy's kids, but everybody ain't by default. We're all God's kids. And so we just need to know. No, we're not. And uh, people don't like to hear that today. You know, we're, you know, we're not all God's kids. You got to be born again into the kingdom of God. I think we cheapen it when we just say everybody's one of God's kids. Show me that verse. I can show you in the Bible where everybody's not his kids. I can show you where you got to be adopted into the family of God. We got to be born again into his family, into his kingdom. But once you're in, you're in. And so here he says, look, redemption. And this is the idea. Imagine that you were on the auction block as a slave that belonged to the devil. You've been beaten. The scars and the marks of your owner are all over you. And that Jesus would come. There's nothing valuable about you. You don't even look good. But he would come and say, how much is he? And you were expensive. You were going to cost him everything that he had. And he paid it and bought you and set you free. Now you're free to serve him. You're free to live for him. You're free to, you should, you ought to be thankful. The other guy can never come get you again, snatch you up and beat on you. Now, how dumb would it be to go back to my old slave owners, to go back to his farm and get a beating every once in a while? Well, some of us do that. I got some friends over there though. I know I got free and I'm, I'm free to go beat with him over here where it's all good, but all my friends are back over there and I know he treat me bad and he might not, he might, he might grab a hold of me when I go, but and some people go back and forth like that and they walk. We shouldn't do that. Guys, I set you free. I bought you. I paid with my blood. First Corinthians 6, 20, you've been bought by the blood of Christ. You were so expensive, but you were worth it to him. He spent his blood to redeem you to himself. And now you belong to him and you're free from him to serve him. Now, now it should be of your own accord that we just will serve the Lord and love the Lord. Redemption that is in Christ Jesus, verse 25, whom God set forth as a propitiation, the word propitiation is uh, that. That's I'm sorry. I said it for redemption. I, I misspoke. The redemption was the us being redeemed, us being purchased. The propitiation is the substitute sacrifice who God set forth as a propitiation. God going in our place, him taking our place, substitute sacrifice by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. And here God just reminded us that I've passed over the sins that you, you've committed in the past. The things you previously committed, God has passed them over. They're washed away. I think one of the comforting things for the Christian is to know that my junk is never going to be brought back up. God's never going to bring up my past. God's not, I'm not going to get to heaven and God say, well, wait, 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 wait. I still want to talk to you about this one thing that you had did. You know, this is not going to get brought up. Our sins are as far as the east is from the west. That means they don't connect. They won't come back together. I don't have to go to heaven and have a discussion about my sin life in the past. It's been washed away. There's so many reasons, you guys, why it should be such an easy thing for us to say, man, I love the Lord. I want to worship God and I obey him. 
I don't obey him so he'll do some more stuff. I'm looking at what he's done. Just saying, God, whatever you want out of this life, you can have it. I cost you all that. You were willing to do all that for me. You can have my life. Verse 26, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Not only is Jesus just, he's just and holy and pure and sinless himself, but he's also the justifier. He's not just just himself, but he justifies you and I. He lived a perfect, holy, sinless life, and he makes us perfect, holy, and sinless before God. He's just and he's the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so it's not for everybody. It's the person that's put their faith in Jesus. And if you're here and you say, you know, I put my faith in Jesus, you should highlight that verse. Jesus is just, but he's also my justifier. He's justified me. Verse 27, where is boasting then? And so you look at all this and who did it? And that's a good question. Then how can I boast? Could I ever be arrogant or cocky about my status in God? I cannot. And nobody should, right? There should be a humility with which we walk because of what God has done for us, right? We didn't do it for ourselves. He did it for us. Where is the boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. See, if I kept the law and that's how I was right with God, then I'm better than you who aren't doing it. I become better than you. If I'm keeping the law and I catch you slipping and you didn't keep the law, I'm better than you. I can kind of be full of myself. But God says, no, that's why the law is put away. None of us kept the law. So the law condemns all of us. Jesus justifies all of us. And so it leaves believers all in this place looking up to Jesus. He's the big deal. He's the one that receives glory and worship and honor and thanks and praise. And every time we gather, Jesus should always be the biggest deal of every gathering. Should never be about a man or a woman or a person or a group of people. I would be an absolute failure if I were the big deal at Calvary Chapel Inglewood. I would feel like I'm a failure. I want Jesus to be the big deal. I can't save none of y'all. I haven't died for you guys. I can't even say I would. You know, I'm just not that great. I promise, you know, but if we can get to the place where we just say, man, we gather together around the person of Jesus who loved us, who died for us, who was good to us, who ministers to us, who cares for us. Man, I mean, that's we all just that we gather together for that one goal. Let's just let's look to him, love him, receive him. Let's let's help each other submit to him that our lives might be blessed by him. That's the goal of every gathering that we do, that he would be glorified. He would be worshiped. So there is no place of boasting. Verse 28. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. So this has been clarified here that he's the God of the Jew and the Gentile. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? And he says, certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. And so Jesus coming and keeping all the law doesn't put it away. He establishes the law. Jesus kept the law for me. The fact that he had to die in in keeping with the law, that I broke the law, he kept it in my place and he applied his righteousness in my life. Jesus kept the law in my place. He doesn't do away with the law. He establishes it, right? If the law was being done away with, then I wouldn't need Christ's perfect life applied to me because the law has been done away with. We just removed the law. But Jesus said, no, the law is left in place and I kept it for you. 
and I apply my perfect righteous life to those that believe in me. And I take your sinful lives and I pay for them on the cross for you. You've been listening to Pastor Bill Bovington and A Transforming Word. We know you didn't have to come today. You could have turned off this message and moved on to the news or to a talk show, but you chose to stay. You chose to invest your time in learning more about the Word of God with us. In this series, Pastor Bill is making his way through the book of Romans. In Romans 8, 6, we read, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. You didn't have to stay today, but it might be the best decision you could have made. On the news, you could have encountered plenty of death, but here we're able to set our minds on the spirit together, discovering the life and peace that he brings. And we have more opportunities for you to set your mind on the spirit. While wait for the next edition of A Transforming Word, on our website, you'll find a daily Bible reading plan, links to our YouTube channel and our mobile app. You'll have hundreds of messages available to you at the touch of a finger. You'll also find ways to join in the work with us through giving and prayer. Our website is calvaryinglewood.org. Once again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. But there are other ways to find us too. We're on Instagram and Facebook. What better way to move your mind to the Spirit than to bring Him into your social media? As you can see, we have many ways to help you connect with God throughout your week. Oh yeah, and don't forget to come back here next time for a transforming word to transform your life.